Tonight we're going to be thinking about the title as a question. Do I really have to? There are times as parents that probably all of us have asked our children at one time to do a particular task or asked them to do something and their response has been, do I really have to? It may have been that we at one time had said that to our parents. Well, as parents, when we ask our children to do something, the answer should certainly be just yes, and they will go and do it. Be a happier world if that was the case, wouldn't it? But you know, one of the unique things about those of us who comprise the human family is that God has endowed us with the freedom of choice. We have the ability to be able to say yes or no to whatever comes our way. And certainly that is reflected all the way back into the Garden of Eden when God had set forth a law, a prohibition for the first couple, Genesis 2, 16 and 17, where the Lord God commanded the man saying that of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. They were to eat of all the trees in the garden, but of that tree that was in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God said, the day you eat thereof, ye will surely die. Of course, we know that they transgressed the law of God in that they made an unwise decision there in Genesis 3. They ate of that tree. But in light of that, there are some things that you and I can say no to. But on the other hand, there are some things that we have no choice. We simply cannot say no to them. And so some things that we have the prerogative to not do and other things we must do. But what about some of the things that we can say no to? First of all, I would suggest that you and I don't have to believe in Almighty God. You don't have to. That's your prerogative. That's your right. You don't have to believe in Almighty God. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today, and especially in our society, that have come to the conclusion that there is no God. They would affirm that God does not exist. They are atheistic. But then there are those who are agnostic, who really say that we can't know if there's a God. How can we know? We can't prove that there is a God. Neither can we disapprove that there is a God. And yet the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Psalm 14, 1. Now to those who simply choose not to believe in God, they do so fully aware that we live in a world that exists in their mind as a result of a cataclysmic explosion or a big bang, if you will. Those that would deny the existence of God, they would say that we are the products of chance or, the, or maybe evolution. And yet the Hebrew writer said, for every house is builted by some man, but he that built all things is God. Hebrews 3, 4. It was then the psalmist who then said that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork, Psalm 19, 1. 
And so to those who would choose not to believe in God, they do so in light of the abundant testimony for a divine architect, a divine creator of this world. And then there are others that would choose not to believe in Jesus as the Christ. As a matter of fact, you don't have to believe in Jesus. That's your right. That's your prerogative. You might say, well, I, I've heard a lot about Christ. I believe that Jesus was a good man, that possibly that he could have been a great philosopher, a, a, a great teacher, and was well known in his community. But I simply just do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, that's your choice. You see, you don't have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, granted, there is an abundance of a historical evidence that talks about this individual that we call Jesus. You can go back and you can read some of the historical evidence for the Christ. And I'm sure that for those who want to rewrite history, to take every aspect of our country's history and its leaders, will want to rewrite to leave Jesus out of those historical books, books as well. So there's a lot of people in our society today that do not believe in Jesus as the Son of God. In a passage that we read just a few moments ago, John 5, 39 and 40, where Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. We find that there were individuals in the first century that wanted nothing to do with the Son of God. They would not accept the divine testimony given unto them, and yet you and I, we have to decide. Are we going to believe in Christ, or will we live in disbelief? What you and I need to understand is that Jesus Christ affirmed His deity. You know, in Matthew 16, 13 through 18, when Christ came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye? Pointing to them, Whom say ye that I, the Son of Man, am? And it was Simon, Simon Peter, Peter that answered and said, That thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood had not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And so apparently Simon Peter, as well as other people in the first century, they came to accept the very testimony that Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one, the long-awaited Messiah that was promised by so many before him. John tells us in John 1 and Verse 14, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the Christ, was the second member of the Godhead. He tabernacled in human flesh, dwelling among mankind. And yet there seems to be people that will just say they simply do not believe in the very Son of God. How can they even come to that conclusion? I do not know. Jesus said, For if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. John 8, 24. But again, bear in mind, you have that choice. 
You have that prerogative. It's your right to say no. You do not have to believe in the Christ. And also I would submit to you that you don't have to believe in the Bible. I mean, it's your right. You don't have to believe in this book that we call the Bible. There are a lot of people in our world today, particularly in our country today, that will tell you that they do not believe that this is the product of inspiration. Are you telling me that Paul lied when he said that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that we as the man of God may be thoroughly furnished, complete unto all good works? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. There are some that would have the idea that this book that we call the Bible has been penned by mortal man, that it is the product of mankind that it did not originate with Almighty God. Some say that it would be on a plane equal to like that of Shakespeare. Well, granted, it is a tremendous piece of literature, but it excels every other form of literature. As a matter of fact, it exceeds every other book that has ever been written. But you may say, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in the 39 books of the Old Testament. I don't believe that of the, the 27 books of the New Testament. And I don't believe that God inspired these books. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.20, he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. What Peter is saying is that God's Word did not originate with man. God, the Holy Spirit, is the author Only man wrote down what he was told to write down. In fact, we know that man could not have written the Bible without inspiration of God because there are only two kinds of men. There are good men and bad men, right? Now, we know that good men could not have written the Bible because good men don't lie. Now, you might be saying, well, what do you mean they lie? Well, they said God wrote it. If man wrote it, then they would have said man wrote it and thus would not have lied. But they say God wrote it, and thus, by some people, they think they lied. Now, we know that bad men could not have written the Bible because they condemned themselves in the Scripture. I think that if I was a bad man and I would want to do whatever it was that I wanted to do in this life, I would leave out those passages that says that it's wrong to be a murderer, an adulterer, a homosexual, and so on and so forth. I would have left those out. I wouldn't even wrote that. I wouldn't even thought that as a man, a bad man. And so we know that good men could not have written it because good men don't lie. We know that bad men couldn't have written it because they condemned themselves right there in the scriptures. And there's only two kinds of men. Now, there are even some that look at the Bible as an old-fashioned, archaic, and outdated. In that, it's just a book that has existed down through the centuries. There are a lot of people that have done everything within their power to destroy this book in every way. Maybe they don't like what God said in his word. But Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, Matthew 24, 35. They might try, but they cannot destroy the Word of God. But you say, well, 
I don't believe in the Bible. Well, that's your right. That's your choice. But I tell you what, if you want to go to heaven, you better believe in the Bible. And you better not only believe it, you better obey it. You don't have to obey its precepts. Which leads us to another thought. And that is, you don't have to obey the gospel. You don't have to obey. It might be the case that you're here and watching online tonight. Maybe you thought about obeying the gospel. Maybe others have encouraged you and and but you just steadfastly refuse. Why is that? Well, I don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, you have that right. That's your prerogative. Not, no one's going to coerce you to obey the gospel of Jesus without your intentions. We want you to do what's right, but we're not going to force you to obey what this book says. We're not going to drag you down this aisle and make you submit to the teaching of the Bible. You say, well, you don't want to obey it. Then that's your right. That's your prerogative. In Acts chapter 2, we read of those people on Pentecost Day. Now, I want you to understand, there was people from all nations. There was roughly 31 nations that were there on that day of Pentecost. Which could have mean a million people, give or take. Let's just say that there was 100,000 people there on that day from all those different nations. Guess what? Only 3,000 obeyed. You see, they had that right, they had that prerogative to not obey. It was the apostle Peter who had preached that first gospel sermon. He pointed out that the Christ that they put to death by their own hands that God had raised him from the dead. And he said, we are witnesses to this great event. In verse 37, those 3,000, those that were assembled were pricked. They were cut to the heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them in verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of people in our world today that they say that they believe in Jesus and that they were that they want to be a follower or of the teaching of God's word, but they're not going to submit to New Testament baptism. Oh, baptism is a work, and then we're, we're not, to, we're not to, to work our way to salvation, and thus we don't believe in that, and so we're not going to submit to that New Testament baptism. We're not going to be obedient to the gospel. They have that right, don't they? But what you need to understand and to bear in mind is that Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. Mark 16, 16. That's not my embellishment of what Jesus said. That's not my interpretation of what the Son of God had to say some 2,000 years ago. That's called a quotation. You can't get around that. You may say, well, I don't want to be baptized into Christ, and that's your right. You may say that baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith, contrary to what the Scripture states, and that's your right, that's your prerogative. It's, it's baptism that separates the sinner from the remission of sins. 
It is baptism that separates the sinner from the washing away of sins. Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16. But there are any number of people that will tell you, I'm just not going to obey the gospel. And with that observation in mind, then you have the right to say, I'm not going to be a member of the Lord's church. You have every right to say, I don't want to be a member of some organized religion. I've heard that many times. I don't want to be a member of the Lord's church. Maybe you have the idea that you're not going to be a member of the Lord's church that you read about in the Bible, but what you need to understand is that Jesus is the Savior of the body, right? Ephesians 5.23. You would also do well to understand that Jesus Christ said in Matthew 16.18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. When Jesus established the church, how many churches did he originate? Yeah, that's right. Only one. The Bible says there is one body in Ephesians 4.4. And that Jesus is the Savior of that body, and the body is the church. Ephesians 1.22 and 23. A few years back, I was studying the Bible with a lady, and, and at the conclusion of our study, she responded to my request for her to obey the gospel by saying, I'm sorry, but I've made a deathbed promise to my mother that I would not change my religion. That's her right. And she has a right to be wrong. That's what she said. I could not believe it. She had every right to make that statement. Why? Because she had that freedom of choice. Now, you have that same right even tonight. You don't have to be a member of the church. You can say no. You may say, well, I'm not going to become a member of the church that I read about in the Bible. And that's your choice. It's your prerogative. But then also there would be some that would say, I don't want to live a holy and righteous life, godly life. I I don't want to live under the constraints of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, again, you have that right. That's your choice. If you want to drink and smoke and cuss and run with the devil's crowd, then you can do that. That's your prerogative. If you want to go out here and live like the devil, then you have every right to do that. I can't stop you. I could encourage you not to. But you see, you need to understand that Paul said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, denying us that ungodliness, no, teaching us that ungodliness, Denying ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live sober, righteously, and godly in this present world. You see, a lot of people would say, you know, I I might become a Christian if. I might do this if I didn't have to live within the confines of what the Bible teaches. A lot of people. That's your choice, isn't it? A lot of people say, you know, I don't want to live a life of purity. I don't want to live a life of holiness. Well, that's your right. You don't have to live that life like that. You don't, if you don't want to, that's your choice. Sometimes I hear individuals say, when we talk about the Lord's church, and we stress the importance of New Testament worship and Bible study. They will say, I had to come to Bible study? I had to come to worship? You mean I, I, I can't just... 
obey the gospel, go down into the waters of baptism, come up, and once saved, always saved? Oh, no. That's not what the Bible teaches. Do I have to come to every Bible study? I, I don't want to. Well, you don't have to. But if you want to go to heaven, you ought to. Do I have to come to every worship? No, you don't have to come to every worship. You get to. There are people in China that would love to be able to go to worship. But they can't. In fear of their lives. They actually will do it underground. There are so many out there in the world today that would love to be able to come to worship. You know, as our children... Growing up, they would come to that point and they would say, do I have to go to worship? Do we have to go? Why do we have to go to church? It's because you get to. You get to go because so many do not. But you don't have to. You can stay at home. You don't have to come to Bible study. Just stay at home. That's your right. But what you need to understand is that Hebrew writer one said that not forsake the assembly for ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 25. There are some that, uh, that will tell you that I'm not coming back on Sunday night. I'm not coming back on Wednesday night. I'm not coming back to Bible study on Sunday, Sunday morning. And you have that right. I know we live in a pandemic and it's making things crazy as this point is. But you can also choose to ignore the passage of scriptures like Hebrews 10.25. You can choose to ignore the passage of scripture like 2 Peter 3.18 where Peter said, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can ignore passages that state that John 4.24 that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Or the words of the psalmist, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, Psalm 95, verse 6. You say, you don't want to come to worship, but you don't want to come to Bible study. That's your right. That's your prerogative. But if you want to go to heaven, you'll want to come. And then also, while we're talking about some of the things that you don't have to do, let me just also focus on something else. You know, you don't have to rear your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You don't have to. That's your right. That's your prerogative. If you're not interested in their well-being, if you're not interested in where they will be for eternity, then don't teach them. Don't rear them in the Lord. That's your right as a parent. You don't have to. You have the wherewithal, the ability to say, I'm not going to do it, and I'm not. You say you're not going to do it, that's your choice. Now granted, there may be some consequences to that, but that's your choice. We're talking about those things that you don't have to do. I, I'm not advising that you not do these things. I know it might have kind of sound like that. Please don't do those things. I'm just saying you don't have to do these things, and there are a lot of people that are not doing them. There are a lot of people that will tell you right up front that they're not going to do them. And as we think about the home, I might also inject that you don't have to be faithful to your spouse. Who's to say that you have to be faithful? If you don't want to, you don't have to. Oh, 
If you want to stay married, you do. If you want to be right with God, you better. But you don't have to. That's your choice. That's your prerogative. You don't have to honor the permanency of marriage. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 6, that whatsoever God had joined together, let no man put asunder. You may choose to ignore that. You may say that you're not going to live in accordance with the will of God concerning marriage. That's your right. That's your choice. That you're not going to respect the vows that you made to one another before other witnesses and in the presence of God. But guess what? That's your choice. You might not live to be able to tell about it. She might decide to take you out of this world. Or it might be the other way. But you don't have to do it. You can live like the world. You can just take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, and just live life to the fullest, doing whatever it is that you want to do. But if you want to go to heaven, you'll do what God asked you to do. But on the other side of the coin, the other side of the quotation, or the equation, I guess, there are some things that you cannot say no to. In that, you don't have a choice. You don't have any choice in the matter whatsoever. Now, typically, we like to think that we're in the driver's seat. That, that we are in control, that we are the master of our own ship, that, that we are at the helm, and for the most part, maybe we are, at least from the vantage point of the freedom of our choice. But there are some things that you and I have absolutely no say in whatsoever that happens. What are some of those things? Number one, you cannot say no to death. Oh, you can say it, but it's going to come. And it is appointed unto man once to die, then cometh the judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. The psalmist talks about the days of our years are three scores and ten. And if by reason of strength they may be four score years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Psalm 90, verse 10. You see, we may live to be 70 or 80 years of age, but it's soon cut off and we fly away. It means we die. We understand that the human body is going to wear out. It's going to fade out. It's going to rust out, whatever. But ultimately, death is going to win. That's why the psalmist said, so teach us to number our days, number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. Think about how much money has been spent in our nation, just in America. How much money is spent in this country trying to prolong the human life? Uh, granted, it does say that we, we actually live a little bit longer today than maybe they did back in the 50s and the 60s, maybe 70s. I don't have a problem with trying to live a long life. I want to live a long life. Who doesn't? But the bottom line is this. We're not going to beat death. It's not possible to beat it. You may say, I'm going to live forever. Not in this body, you're not. You may think you are, but the human body ultimately wears out and it dies. Just read Ecclesiastes chapter 12 where Solomon talks about the demise, the disintegration of the physical body. 
And he said in verse 7 there, that Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And so you and I, we cannot say no to death. You, you can mark that one down. But there's also another thing that you and I cannot say no to, and is that we can't say no to the resurrection. Think about that. We can't say no to the resurrection. You know, J- Jesus said in John 5, 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Somebody said, well, when my body's buried in the ground, it's going to stay in the ground forevermore. Not so. No, Jesus said that that body that is placed in the bowels of the earth will one day rise again. When will that be? I don't know. At the last trumpet, according to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 50. But he said, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. The resurrection of the body is a fact. You can write that one down too. You're not going to be able to say no to it. There's not one thing that you and I can do to prevent it. Many years back, there was an interesting article that had appeared in a newspaper about vandals that had disturbed the grave of Ronnie Van Zant. Some of you might know that he was a former lead singer of Leonard Skinner. But the authorities stated that although that they had tampered with the graveside, that his physical remains were unharmed. What I thought was interesting is that his wife took his physical remains and interred them into another location. And in order to prevent anyone from trying to do what had previously occurred, you know what she did? She planted him in the ground and poured about four feet of concrete on top of him, on top of his casket. And the idea was is that so that no one would be able to vandalize his grave again. Well, I guess from that vantage point, nobody will. Unless you have a crane or a jackhammer, you're not going to be able to dig them up. But I want you to understand, and I hope that they understand, that those of us here on this earth to receive the earthly remains, we're going to have a resurrection. And Ronnie Van Zant's body will come up from that grave for the judgment day whether his wife or whether he likes it or not. Four feet of concrete will not stop the Son of God from coming again and raising the dead. It's a fact of life. You can write that one down too. I cannot stop it from happening. You can't either. Here's another thing that we can't stop. We can't say no to the judgment. Think about how many events occur in this life. And all we have to do is say no. I'm not going to attend. I'm not going to be present. I might be, it might be that you have received an invitation in the mail and they want you to come to some certain party and, and you say, well, I'm not going to come. I'm going to be somewhere else. You decline. Well, that's your right. That's your prerogative. But not so with the judgment of God. 
Let's read Hebrews 9.27 again. And it is appointed unto man once to die, then cometh the judgment. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Everyone, anyone will be there. No matter how famous you are, no matter how much money you've had, no matter if you're still living at the time that it happens, you and I will be there, whether we like it or not. We can't say no to the judgment. Oh, I refuse to stand in the presence of Almighty God. But you might think that, but that's not going to happen. You will stand there. You can't plead the fifth and, and not say a word, but that's not going to happen either because the Bible says, For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, that every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. You may think that you can exclude yourself from the judgment. You may think you're not going to give an account of the deeds done in your body. You may think that you're not going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him before all of humanity. But the Bible says you will. You will. You will be there. Sometimes we had the idea that when we step out in eternity, that we are at liberty to do just as we please. But that's not the case. The Bible talks about the judgment. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, in light of the judgment, the Apostle Paul said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I think about the words of the Hebrew writer when he acknowledged centuries ago that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Hebrews 10, 31. It's a fearful thing beyond belief to die unprepared to meet Almighty God. But you can mark that one down. We're not going to say no to the judgment and we will be there. And then finally, we're not going to say no concerning our eternal destiny. You see, once we step out into eternity, that eternal destiny, that eternal state, it's sealed forevermore. In Matthew 25, in verse 46, Jesus said, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. I'm talking about the wicked on the left hand, the goats. But the righteous, those who are on the right hand, the sheep, they're going to go into life eternal. You, you see the contrast there? Can you imagine stepping out into eternity unprepared to meet God? Doomed forevermore to be in eternity in a place called hell, Gehenna? Did you know that the hell was prepared for the devil and his angels? Matthew 25, 41. Think about this. Hell is a place for the helpless. Hell is a place for the hopeless. And hell is a place for the godless. That's where you will be forevermore if you don't obey the gospel. And there's nothing you can do to change that once you step out into eternity. But on the other hand, if you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and you live faithfully according to his word, to the Son of God, until you die or until he comes again, the promise is life everlasting. The promise is the crown of life. You will be in eternity in heaven with the Lord and you will be there forevermore. In that city where there is no more death or tears, no crying, no pain, no sorrow, all these things have passed away. Nothing can touch you. Nothing can rob you of that eternal destiny. For you see, once you step out into eternity, once your state is sealed, you can't say no. 
I think about people that are in eternity tonight. And if they only had one more chance, they would change. But they can't. There are just some things that you just can't do. Read Luke 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. I I close by saying this, that as long as there's life and breath in the human body, as long as you have that mental capacity, you you can make choices in this life. Hopefully and prayerfully, you will make the right choice. And hopefully and prayerfully, you're like the wise man that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, and not like the foolish man. You see, wise people hear what this book says, and guess what? They'll do it. Foolish men don't want to hear it. They might hear what this book says, but they ignore it. And they might even say, do I really have to? Well, if you don't want to go to heaven, you're right. You don't have to. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, the living God, I hope that you'll make that decision tonight to obey the gospel. Put the Lord on in baptism for the remission of your sins based upon your faith and believing that he is the Son of God. And the repentance, turning away from those things that are wrong to that which is right, and making that good confession. And when you go down into the waters of baptism, you will be buried. Those sins will be washed away. And when you come up, you'll be a child of God, a New Testament Christian. And God will then add you to heaven. We hope that you'll make that decision even tonight before it's everlasting. Maybe you're already a child of God. You've done those things, but you've fallen away. The opportunity is to make things right once again. Repent of those sins. Pray that God will forgive you and we'll be there for you in every way we can. But it's up to you. It's your choice. It's your right. It's your prerogative. But we hope that you'll make that right.